0: Warning, this podcast contains graphic and triggering language and content that may upset and disturb some listeners. Please seek professional help if needed. Welcome to What's Your 20. I'm your host, Emily Zufeldt. The concept behind What's Your 20 is a mental health check-in. This isn't just for first responders and armed forces. It's for anyone who's experienced or dealt with trauma. It's going to be a look at where you've been, where you're headed, but more importantly, where are you right now? I'm inviting you along to join me and my guests on this journey where we'll be navigating, managing and living life with PTSD. Welcome back to What's Your 20 and Part 2 of Corey Hat and Mad Hatter Industries. Of all the episodes on What You're 20, I must admit that these two with Corey have been the ones in which I have spoke the least. The beauty in this is that sometimes to be a good host or a good friend, you need to know when to be quiet and just listen. We're going to pick up from yesterday where Corey begins to talk about where the issues of anxiety and panic attacks began to creep in.
1: And that's really where the issues kind of started to really... Happen the anxiety, the panic attacks, the uh, tinnitus. I had no idea what this ring in my ear was, it was super depressing. Okay, and because it wouldn't go away, I didn't know what to do about it. And really, that's it, it was a full stop. All of a sudden, things started to catch up and, and things just kind of spiraled out of there. And then things got worse and worse. Yeah, I had to start seeking professional help to get through the issues.
0: Had you ever had uh, panic attacks or anxiety before any of that?
1: I guess maybe I was one of those people that had a profile for anxiety. I wasn't somebody who took a lot of caffeine. Okay. I was always sensitive to that, but I never knew what the fuck it was or what it was called. Then I had a full-on panic attack one time driving back and forth. When I made days off, I'd go from Toronto to Ottawa because the wife at the time, still a girlfriend, super patient, <laughs> I'd been putting her through all this, Go, I'd go back as much as I could and then- one time, I just don't know what happened. I just looked in the rearview mirror and I thought I was dying and breathing started to get more and more shallow and I thought I was going to pass out and I thought literally I was dying and I had to pull over and call an ambulance. Okay. And it was the most embarrassing thing because everything was physically fine with me. In fact, great. It was, I was very healthy. Well, mentally, I was at a breaking point and I had no idea that this was a thing, that this could actually happen. And it continued to happen. And I became super agoraphobic, couldn't be around people. I just didn't uh, I didn't rehabilitate well. And the depression was already always there. It was always right at the edge. Okay. And it just kind of got worse and things crept in and being on shift really didn't help things because you're already outside of the normal routine. And I had not really integrated well. There wasn't a typical normal reintegration. I'd always stayed on the edge of things by just continuing to push the limit and going full tilt into whatever I could do. Do you think that was an avoidance of? as long as you kept yourself busy? People still say that, that why I keep so busy now is a term of avoidance. And I probably would have to agree if it weren't for the fact that it's so beneficial <laughs> to keep so busy. But I, I do realize that it. Can be an avoidance. So I really try to balance things out properly. Yeah. It's not really easy because I'm not one of those people that balances things. I go a thousand percent in one direction and that's my balance. And like I'll just shift focus into all this all the time. But do you ever crash? Never. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. It's, uh, you'd have to ask the wife that. But uh, I think having kids really changed my perspective on everything and then losing a friend. When I was out traveling in Central America, before I got married, really changed my perspective on the fact that uh, maybe these weren't issues that I was dealing with alone, and that I wasn't such a failure. I couldn't like, deal with these things and that, that feeling this way was a failure on my part instead okay. of acknowledging it and dealing with it professionally. You really basically put a fire in my ass to get the help I needed and to try and be an example to others on... The fact that feeling like that isn't, I wouldn't say necessarily unusual or abnormal, but there, these are feelings that people do feel and it's not weak to talk about these things. And seeking the help is a really, it's a form of strength and that I should have done it earlier and would have been a lot better off if I had slowed down and instead of just pushing things full throttle past the brink of return. And fortunately, I didn't do it to the point where I couldn't come back. I was able to start a normal life with a woman that was super patient and caring and loved me more than I did. I was in a self-destructive tendency. I went fully forward, committed to war, not expecting to make it back and not caring if I'd make it back Right. to doing a private security contract to just basically take a bullet for a family I didn't even know and then start on a team to just basically keep pushing the envelope on things. And then part of that therapy came with motorcycling where I'd go away with friends that I'd uh, gone overseas with or did a a close protection course with. And we had that therapy of just getting through it together and working through and it became a family where we still, we try to anyways, meet monthly and uh, look out for each other and others in the community. And that's, A lot of that stuff is what we pulled into Hatter Industries was to create a community to help others, to be an example of others, of what mental resilience can look like, the strength physically and mentally when you're doing things on a balance that's right for you. Everybody has their own walk. They walk their own walk. They ride their own ride. But the key is not comparing yourself necessarily to others, but doing what you feel is right for you within the paradigms of professional help. As much as I don't trust a lot of psychiatrists, it works well to find one that you do trust that you can work with and creating a community of like-minded individuals that support and uplift you. And also being a part of many clubs. When I got married, one of my my MCs had made the joke that I was part of every club, including the CD of the Month Club, and it's, <laughs> it's not too far off. But I, uh, I did get into masonry Oh, nice. Yeah, I learned a lot. And again, one of those things where you don't just go fast, I went full into it all the way up to the master's chair in between my first and my second child. And it did teach me another thing, which was the benefits of raising one another up. When you focus on people's strengths and the best of what they have to offer, you bring the best out of people. Right. And the military isn't necessarily, at least the old culture, that wasn't necessarily how we conducted business. We focused on the worst of what people were bringing out and just hammered them until they were bashed in.
0: Well, you broke a, them.
1: Yeah, exactly. into to a point of compliance. I think there's a really big focus on mental health now and the military sees the investment in that and the about face that they're taking with respect to the addressing of sexual misconduct and the changing of things. There's that uh, work that's being put in and yeah, there's a lot of criticism in the way things are going because people want things right away. They don't think it's enough. The fact is, it it can. There's always things to do better, but uh, when you don't realize or focus on what's happening, that's positive. It's really easy to miss out on those things. And yeah, there is a lot of extra work that needs to be done. And maybe it isn't always just enough for one organization to take it take it forward all the way to the goal line. You need a full concerted effort on all parts and i'll be honest i had a real chip on my shoulder coming back from my first tour
0: okay i
1: I just felt it wouldn't wouldn't be like a sense of entitlement but going through combat i just felt like maybe maybe it was a little bit different or there was like something not that i was owed to but i didn't feel quite the same as others or really connect with others when people asked like how it was i was almost indignant like how the fuck Why would you be asking me that? I just get so angry. Like, wasn't the right response. It's just like, I don't want to tell you anything. I certainly don't want to sit there and talk to someone who doesn't care. And all they really want to know deep down is how many people I killed. Like, we're not the same people. I didn't go there to just go and, like, get a kill count or a score. I went there, I wouldn't say naively, but I went there with the mindset of wanting to help my country Mm -hmm. and fight the war on terror. There was a lot of precepts I had that I really didn't understand and really it, it just blew my mind open in terms of my perspective on culture and, and the universality of, of everyone in the world and how we all have the same needs. The the need to feel safe and everyone needs to feel loved and the necessity of eating, you know, those are basic elements. Yeah, yeah we went there for the right purposes and looking back and what's now happened, it's hard to, to know if it was all for for not. And it certainly wouldn't be for efforts put forward, but it could be a little bit frustrating. And I understand where people feel like this is a dark time, but uh, they need to focus on the fact that we did the best job we could. Mm-hmm. And we're damn proud of what we did. And for those years that we were there, we we gave it our all. And everyone that gave it their all and those that didn't make it back We owe it to them to continue forward and we'll never, we should never forget what the sacrifices that we've paid for, regardless if we don't think some people are as appreciative as they should be about it. The fact is, we did what we did and for the right reasons and that we need to continue to move forward and carry on with the mission at home, helping others. What wasn't for naught was the Mad Hatter Industries.
0: Discuss the name with me. Where does Mad Hatter come from?
1: Well, that's a uh, nickname I got. Okay. The uh, the way it works in the military, everybody refers to everyone in their last name. So my name being Hat yeah. was referred to pretty much through the early part of my career. And then it became Hatter. And then the Mad Hatter kind of just became something that stuck as a nickname through uh, carrying a machine gun and operating in the operational environment that we did. The nickname just kind of stuck and actually ordered – through CP gear, uh nickname or name badge, a name tape that said Matt Hatter. Because when we go out on operation, we didn't want uh, Al Jazeera or other news networks recording our actual names. Right. So I put this fake name tag on. I remember Rick Hillier <laughs> coming to the gate one time, I was opening it up for him at CNS. He's like, oh, Matt Hatter, That's that's a great name. Like, Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, sir. I gave him a little high five and it was like, yeah, that's not a real name. (laughs) He understood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did he know that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's the name. It stuck. I used to skateboard and I loved independent industries. I love the mindset of like promoting uh, in skate culture. The individual skater, bringing out the best in them. So, Independent Industries is a company that went under, but I I took the name Mad Hatter and added Industries to it with the same mindset that we're there to promote a mission of helping others and help people become the best versions of themselves. Yeah. Ultimately, the mission was to prevent suicide for those that are willing to do what's needed for themselves to get the help they needed. Those are the people we'd work with, and we created a community of resilient individuals that took that motto, no quarter given, to the term for suicide prevention, Does not allow that as an option. And since its inception, going forward, it's always been the mission to help others. And we've since adapted that now to finding your passion, living your adventures. So the goal is to help people find what they love, get to before the point they're even depressed or suicidal. Once we get to that area, it's a lot harder to bring people back. We want to help people now before they even get down that dark path, and, and help them find what they love doing and showcase what you can do when you do seek things day to day that you love doing and looking for that that shine, that what makes you unique, what can you do to provide value. Members of the armed forces then are coming
0: back from uniform to civilian transition. How do you get your hands on them before the depression kicks in, but can help them find that passion, that purpose?
1: Well, to be honest, uh, we don't get our hands on all of them. and It's frustrating because we're probably not doing enough. Like there's more work we could be doing. Like it's a word of mouth. That's essentially how we started going. And and there's organizations like OSINT and uh, groups that start transitioning members out where we could certainly work more with. The reality is we don't quite have the infrastructure yet to do it all ourselves. So that's why we partner up with uh, charities like Veterans and Everyday Heroes. Yeah. Wounded Warriors Canada. Warrior Adventures Canada. And we work with like-minded individuals that are willing to help can Proxis, excellent group we share out that information we try to contribute financially wherever we can and also participate if we can so walk for the wounded was an amazing event that we did in september Uh, everything financially went to uh, wounded warriors canada but also was a community of like-minded individuals that Work on the therapy of pain, of going 42 kilometers with a uh, vest on in a group of like-minded individuals. It was amazing, the energy that was there. That's really what uh, I find beneficial when I can take part in those things.
0: Yeah.
1: It helps me and uh, really resets and resolidifies solidifies the purpose and the reason for why we do things. And connecting people that are excited to just do what they love doing and help others as well, that's a huge Plus for me, it really helps reset things and that's the goal to eventually continue growing and get to the point where we can continue to provide even more value to the community and continue to give back. But uh, yeah, we're not a one-stop shop. We don't do it for everyone and not everyone is going to think that uh, we're their cup of tea. I think maybe we're a little bit, maybe more, I wouldn't say harsh or severe, but if you're not willing to do in the work, it's certainly a lot harder to work with you. Or if you don't produce the results you need for yourself, then it becomes a point where we can't help you and we need to put you in touch with those that can.
0: Well, it's that two-way street, right? So many people are going, where's the help? Where's the help? Well, you can get all the help you want, but if you aren't willing to do the work yourself and meet them halfway, you're yep. not going to improve, right?
1: And I think my our niche is really in helping those troubled individuals that are exceptional circumstances that are resilient to taking that help Yep. because I have been there and I, I was at idiot not going and taking the help i need and being so resistant to doing it all myself having that chip on my shoulder and i really do get it i understand because it's really hard to trust people and and really get over the fact that you need help admitting it Mm. and it's so tough to do for some people and and sometimes it's a different approach to get that out of people to get the willingness to change or seek the help they need for me it took it took a long time It actually really solidified when I did this walk up in the Himalayas. I was up there for four months hiking 12 hours a day. And uh, through True Patriot Love, they paid for me to go to the Himalayas and do this climb. And it was uh, a therapy of pain (laughs) going through 12 hours of hiking every day. But it was just so beautiful. But I was probably going through the height of my depression and anxiety and just... In a place that was so far beyond where I would even consider remotely helpful. It was so bad that I talked to the doctor, the team doc, Marcus Besman, and at Bresman, and I said, I think I have brain cancer. Like, I think there's something seriously wrong with me. And when he did the tests, he's like, There's nothing wrong with you. Like, you got to get out of your fucking head. And uh, no, I said, No, I think there's something seriously wrong with me. And it took a long time for me to stop thinking like that and stop hurting myself, I guess through the actions I was taking by pushing those who really love me, the life that I had further away and trying to ride off on a motorcycle, which is very therapeutic, but it's uh, only for, you can only do it for so long. You have to do it in a way that's productive. And I think being part of a team and a group really is what brought me back and uh, kept me alive, starting a club with like-minded individuals and having values that are something you need to ascribe to that you could never let down, that is bigger than yourself, is a reason to live even when you don't think there is personally a reason to go on or that anybody would care. Mm -hmm. Continuing on and carrying on tells you otherwise. And it's, I guess, the biggest message to pass on to those listening is that you have no idea how the loss of your life would affect others. It would devastate them and it would just be a complete tragedy in a way that you'll never achieve what you could truly what you could truly achieve if you'd set yourself to doing and becoming the person who you're really meant to be. And that's where we try to find that opportunity to help people realize that light is really what our mission is. And, you know, it's important to take the steps that are needed. But it's it's a passion of ours to help ignite a fire in people that really set them alive into what is their true calling. And that's not easy, but we certainly try. How many people are so lost that they were
0: like, what is my passion? What is my calling? Where do I go from here? Yeah. But until you find that, how do you know what it is? And I- it's
1: not easy. Like I, you can see, and we agree, but I was telling a friend this today, like you can feel, you have that mission and that passion you set forward. Some days it doesn't change the fact that you're just still so depressed in Yeah, there's thoughts of suicide that come there. But you make a promise to yourself never to allow that as an option. It makes life a lot easier when you know you're just going forward. There's no option but to continue on. And when you do get in those places, you really need to dig down into what you need for the help, your community that's there for you, and what mechanisms you need to do to just keep going on Mm -hmm. that's more important. I can look at your platform, your web page. I've
0: met you a couple times. I know you know some of your friends. Not once did I know that you struggled with depression or anxiety or suicidal ideation. I don't know that. Most of your followers probably don't know that either. The fact that you're sitting here with me today and saying that out loud, do you know what that's gonna do to so many people? They're like, holy shit, Corey felt this way? And he's saying it. That will it will just move people to feel good and better about themselves. And what goes behind your message and your mission is you're not alone.
1: You are not alone.
0: That's amazing. You're uh, you're being a bright light in dark, dark rooms that maybe you don't realize it.
1: It hasn't uh, just shown up like that. It's taken a long way to get there. And it's a continuously evolving journey. And uh, a lot of development happened this year working with a brand that uh, I would have never have really connected with, but uh, <laughs> this individual... At one point, just there was a moment of clarity where he'd really connected. And he's like, Man, I love you. And I'm like, What? Like, it just, and I didn't know how to react because I was so repressed emotionally. I just kind of laughed. He's like, I fucking take it back. And he walked away. And i like, Oh, fuck. i like, Missed that moment there. It was like really like a bro moment. But I'm like, So repressed. I couldn't uh, be open with emotions. Or I, I think uh, in the military, you don't take positivity well or anything. Mm-hmm. productive is just like I'm just used to being shit on all the time I would have no idea how to take in anything positive and I'm just like oh fuck like yeah I guess you do affect people's lives in ways that you don't know and for those that have kids you can't even imagine how much you're affecting their lives and that's to me probably the scariest thing is the mirrored reflection that they'll have in the actions you how you carry around them and how important it is to tell people you love them and since then, I say it a lot more than I ever have, and being open about this is that path, I guess, to uh, healing. And and for me, being truly open is probably one of the biggest, hardest things to get over. On how uh, being authentic is really important, but it makes you so vulnerable. It's important, though, to let people know how you feel. And I, it's all. I don't say that uh, I can't say I do anything perfect or well. All I can say is I'm doing the best I can. And that's it.
0: I want to go back and talk about your t-shirts. You actually hand make them.
1: Yeah. The first logo was the Mod Hotter Industries logo. So I sketched that out. And I don't do everything myself. Mm-hmm. There's a team behind everything. But uh, that's how we started. I did the logo. I got it digitized professionally. I got it burned onto a screen. and This is how I learned how to make shirts. Okay. The old... Tactical Beaverway, the (laughs) former owner of Tactical Beaver, also an MP, he brought a bottle of whiskey over and I gave him a thousand bucks and he brought his machine and showed me how to do it. And that's what got us started. And before that, I was making shirts for $24.99 and selling them for $25. And it was a great way to do a business. The wife just (laughs) said, you are not a business. You are wasting your time. And I'm like, well, you know, I love doing what I'm doing. I call it building an airplane while falling from the sky (laughs) because I wasn't doing it right and I learned it as I went and uh, super excited about it. Obviously, it would have been better to have started out with some planning and that wasn't what it was about. It was about getting out there, telling a mission, and I was just super excited to do that and then on the process through to where we are now. I realized how many mistakes I've made along the way, but I would have been three years behind if I'd taken that much time to just try and do it right. Yeah. And for me, the therapy was in the process and the journey and learning and the mistakes and the hours of wanting to pull my hair out super late at night after work, where you'd have moments of almost breakdown, which became breakthrough. Yes. And uh, that was my therapy when there was nobody around And I had that one mentor that's like, well, nobody fucking cares. You just got to work harder. He never gave me any sympathies. (laughs) On his 50th birthday, he was fulfilling orders. He wasn't celebrating. So he left me with an impression of how important it is just to continue working on what it is that you love doing. And if you believe in something that much, give it your all and uh, don't look back. Obviously, I still work full time because I got bills to pay. Yeah. And that's why we're able to structure the business the way it is, where the proceeds go to support charities that we acknowledge are doing an amazing job and things in ways that we can't directly do ourselves. So we contribute financially and also participate where we can. But uh, the rest of the money goes to grow the business. I think people would be shocked as to how much money I've spent on this business. And the fact that I haven't paid myself would be probably a really bad business lesson, I'd say the way I've done it isn't for money, but it's not the mission. We wanted to make it relevant. We wanted to make it badass. We wanted to connect with an audience. We wanted to tell a story and that's what we do with our designs.
0: Absolutely.
1: And that's that's really all I cared about. The money part was important to be able to grow the business and just tell the story better. And yeah, there's a uh, a competitive side where you want to grow and become successful, but it was never to make money. and uh yeah, it's important to pay the bills. I've learned that the hard way, but at least it's structured to now where we can pay some of the bills. And we're still like, I'd say for every dollar that comes in, we're probably spending two to two and a half. But we're never gonna stop giving to charities that we support. Right. I think it's important.
0: It wasn't supposed to be a nonprofit in the beginning, is that correct?
1: No, and it still isn't. It's right. just run that way. <laughs> it's then, just so poorly managed.
0: And you end up putting yourself into debt most times. We All-
1: are more in debt than we've ever been in our entire life and We've actually made more money than we ever have too but okay. it's – I think the people listening to this think it's easy. you are going to make money overnight. It doesn't quite happen that way and uh, if you really want to grow something that lasts with legs and have the integrity behind a brand that people trust, then you got to do it your own way and for me, this is the way that I'm doing it and I'm transparent about it. It's certainly not a way to run a business <laughs> but uh, I love doing what I do and yeah, yeah I've gotten smarter. With the numbers, we've driven margins down, and it helps us donate more, which is great. And yeah, I've had some write-offs, which is great. There, at least there's a tax write-off at the end of it, and uh, we still show negative revenue. Yeah, there's going to be a problem in a year or two when the Canada Revenue Agency comes, but we account for everything, and it's all professionally done. But at some point, yeah, we'll turn profitable. But like Tesla, you know, you want to make it to mars you got to take some risks yeah we're an actual realistic company that wants to do legit things here on earth i'm just using that as an example of a company that's done some great things while living in debt
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay and now let's talk about your social media following like you're on instagram and you've got almost ten thousand followers right now that's nothing to laugh at that's that's pretty amazing but you have that very specific niche of gearing toward the more badass style, the motorcycles. You know, you've got the fire, you've got the the bikers, you've got you know yeah. the, the girls with their cut off uh, shorts <laughs> up their ass. A you more know,
1: racy, yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. And um, but yeah. it is your niche. How do I put it? It's more like a a granola style badass, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I guess a natural evolution for skateboarders is to get into motorcycling and. That's a culture we connected with right away and I love the passion. I would say the stunt riders specifically and the tattoo artists, the shit they go through, the the stunt riders for sure, watching them go through like a ride where they do a show is like a battle. It literally looks like combat and some of them come up busted like a soldier coming in combat. I watched one of the riders fly off their bike in the January show and bust their leg off and it was, they didn't lose it, but uh, it was really bad. And I, there was concussions that happen. we work with riders and bikers who've been through some horrendous things. And when I hear the stories about the shootouts that have happened, I'm like, that's what combat is. Like it's made me realize as a soldier, I'm not special. There are people that deal with those things on a daily basis. First responders, uh, you know, firefighters deal with some of the most gruesome shit. And listening to those stories, I'm like, that's just how it was in Afghanistan, except there was millions of pieces of this person. So it really wasn't that big of a deal for me. But uh, it's really sad when you hear the stories that they deal with and what triggers them. And I understand completely being a father now, having to pull out a child from a fire, dealing with the things that they deal with, or a police officer who's had to deal with the things that they deal with, to a biker who's seen the most incredulous shit their friend like get just picked off going in a corner too hard they're both on stolen bikes so they can't go to the cops or turn around and help them they have to go straight to the to their family and let them know what's happened and uh there's some crazy shit that happens out there I couldn't yeah. believe the stories in the willingness people have to talk to us and I guess that's they understand now <laughs> the first time I started doing this at motorcycle shows. Some of the bikers would talk to a friend of mine. They're like, man, this fucking Mad Hatter guy. Like, is this dude for real? Is he really that nice? Like, is that that an act? And the, my buddy's like, no, that's that's really who he is. Like, <laughs> he's really that nice. Like, I'd show up to events with like, <laughs> show up with apples, be giving out like <laughs> apples from a bag. Like, just trying to promote the positive lifestyle. Or We were at an event. Where there's a lot of stuff happening and you're just like, yeah, this is – I'm not really into the party scene. Like, i just been in the heat all day. I just want to sleep. But it's like, you know, there's a balance to things. But uh, I just really love the lifestyle and the people. And it is like a family. Everybody supports each other mm-hmm. and they're so generous. Like, once they understand the mission and the support and the charity they have and for each other and for fallen riders – there's a similarity there that uh, we really connected with, and that is our niche. Motorcycles and machine guns are really where we draw the base from. On where we look to help, we help everybody that wants to, to come to us and talk. Like we're open, we're an open book. We're not going to hide our story about who we are and what we did, or what we continue to do. But we're not uh, somebody who closes our doors to people because of what they wear on their backs or what they do. We're open to listen to everybody's story and genuinely help them. Yeah, And they understand that. And there's been bikers that have talked to us like, man, we get it. Like we really do respect that. I'm like, well, good, because I put a lot of money into this. So I hope somebody (laughs) listens to me somewhere.
0: (laughs) So then who does the reels and all the photos behind your social media? Is that you too?
1: Most of it. Yeah. So we, we do a mix of sharing and mashing and We had a really incredible talented individual that uh, helped with a lot of our media. Okay. And this kid was one of those kids that could have done, could have joined the military and gone straight into the special forces. Anything they do, they apply, they do really well. Amazing stunt rider, became a Harley Davidson sales manager. He does like all these things. Like everything they touch goes really well. But they just became so busy that it just wasn't uh, on the books. Right. We uh, learned how to do things by hanging out with those that were like-minded, that were willing to teach us. Yeah. The same as the eye for the design. I learned why my first logo was so busy and why we went with the concentrated MHI icon. Yeah. That wasn't me just sitting there thinking stuff up. That was after hours of conversations and explanations on the design process and how it works. The success of Mad Hatter Industries is because of everyone out there that supports us and that talks to us and the willingness to listen and take feedback. That's the only reason why we are are where we are. I have that attitude where it's not enough. I have a really patient mentor that just said, just be fucking patient. It takes time. And as a veteran who's dealing with issues, patience is not a virtue. Like we're ready to do this. We want to do it twice as fast, twice as hard. And then we get exhausted and we're getting frustrated with like, why the fuck am I not seeing the results that I want? And the fact is that the expectations were a little unrealistic, but to set lofty goals and not hit them, I would say is more reasonable than setting too low of a goal and just hitting it instead of exceeding it. So I'd rather go to a point where we can continue to push and continue to measure and progress, but as a team. So yeah, I have taken a step back and slowed things down. Because I've realized to grow together, you need to be well-rounded and come forward on all events, so on a full front. So as impatient as I am, I'm very happy and proud of the team that we have and where we've grown and who's helped us along the way and uh, wouldn't be where we are or continue to thrive without the support of those that come back and understand that, yeah, sometimes there's orders and delays because there's a combination of shit I'm dealing with on top of the supply chain. Uh, logistics, inflation, and <laughs> prices, and day to day general shit on top of a newborn, there's a lot to balance. And I, I don't know if people understand that, but I definitely appreciate the patience and the continued support and loyalty and, and leadership in the community. There's been a lot of those out there rooting for us from day one and helping along the way. Mm hmm. And uh, that's the only reason we're successful is because of all those people that have helped us.
0: I was over at Vimy Brewing in Ottawa. So you and I last saw each other in Bob Cajun in the summer Yeah. for Andrew's comedy night for the dogs. And I went to Vimy Brewing to ask for some of their beer to take up to auction off. And there was your logo on their fridge was oh, Mad no Hatt- way. Yeah. And I was <laughs> like, awesome. Hey, and I said Mad Hatters. He's like, Yeah, we actually just did an event with them and he talked about you there. So you weren't in the Ottawa area yet. You're still in Toronto, but here in this brewery that is veteran owned and operated. Is your symbol on their fridge, right? So I mean, you're everywhere, actually. I have a, a friend who's out in uh, Alberta, and it's your reels, it's your social media that it's the this the badass. It's, I just love watching the motorcycles. Yeah, not a first responder, not a not a military member, nothing. Just wants to watch your reels, and so they follow and watch you for that. <laughs> so I mean, like you have no idea the the circles that you're in and touching all the time. It's really fantastic.
1: Yeah, I mean, you never know how you're affecting people, and it's certainly. The goal is you hope you affect things positively and you never know what's going to work or hit with people. Sometimes it's the design, the message behind the design. It's a message, it's a story, it's a note or a direct text. And yeah, we try to do it all, but uh, we realize we need the help of the community and others and certainly those keep an eye out on individuals when they need a little random act of kindness. Well, so, that's
0: indicative of your, your mission and of the company is that reaching out and uh, having help with mental health is the only way you're going to get through too, right? It's the only way we're going to rise above.
1: That helps me. Every person that we feel that uh, we've helped succeed or get their feedback on them, that uh, it's been a success and it refires up our mission and passion for things. So... Sorry. I got this dog here that's really <laughs> excited to just hang out.
0: Yeah. So for anybody yeah. who's listening, this is the first time that I've ever done a podcast in my home because I'm normally the one traveling, and of course I have this monster dog that's 145 pounds. Small and, horse. Yeah, and uh, he has he's sending you home with a, a jacket of fur, and I apologize.
1: Well, I feel warmer already. <laughs>
0: As long as you're not like soaking from drool, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay. So Corey, at the end of my podcast, what we do, it's uh, fast and furious, 10 quick questions. I'm just going to fire them off and Ragnar is going to help you with it. Apparently again, perfect. And it's okay. If it's one word, it's okay. If it's one sentence, it's as it's uh, as the podcasts go on. Um, they're becoming little stories as well. So it's not really Fast and Furious anymore. It's like the top 10 questions.
1: Amazing. Okay,
0: so here we go. You're a motorcycle rider, obviously. What kind of a bike do you have?
1: Uh, Harley Davidson Street Bob. It's a 2014 Custom Conquer Rods and Motorcycles build.
0: With a sissy bar.
1: (laughs) It's got, uh, yeah, it's got, does it have a sissy bar? No, it doesn't. Oh, the last one you had in front
0: of my house did. That was
1: an I-Train. That was amazing. Okay. I love that bike. All the things, motorcycles I love. This one is completely unique. And uh, I sold the Night Train to another Corey. He's a new improved version of me. I call him the 2.0. Okay. And it's so amazing to have him roam that bike because I love watching that bike just roll around. It's probably one of the coolest motorcycles I've ever owned.
0: Okay. Second question. You have a group of guys that you go biking with. Do you have a group name or patches that you wear or anything?
1: Yeah. So we're the Pale Horseman Charter. Of the Pipe Hitters Union Motorcycle Club, and that is actually from a brand called Pipe Hitters Union. And for those that are thinking that sounds awfully familiar, well, it's not pipe fitter; it's pipe hitter, which is a term that was used by those that could be essentially relied upon to do the heavy lifting. Okay, it's a uh, urban reference to a special forces or military contractor that uh, basically can be relied upon to do what's needed when called upon.
0: Okay. If you could retire today and do Mad Hatter full-time?
1: I would have done it yesterday if I could do it uh, today full-time. As soon as I can, I'm going to do it.
0: And keep it in the green.
1: And keep it in the green. (laughs) That would probably make things a lot easier.
0: Okay. I've heard that you're very faith-based. Is this correct?
1: Yeah. I I believe in a purpose for life. But it's up to you to make that choice to follow that purpose. And I was raised Christian, a closed brethren group, which is very extreme in terms of viewpoints. But uh, becoming a Mason has really kind of liberated my thoughts on spirituality yes. and believing in a higher being. And really, I guess, over over the time of working with those that are others otherwise faith-based, I've realized that uh, I'm way more open and understanding other people's beliefs, and that uh, all it's done is augment and cement my belief in uh, my God and and my purpose. I may fall off, but I know that I'm human and that uh, things happen. But ultimately, I get brought back onto path and on mission and on direction, because that's what happens when you follow your heart. Nice. From deployment, do you have a
0: funny story from there that's quick, (laughs) funny, fast, other than breaking your foot, of course?
1: Man, there's uh, a few, but uh, <laughs> the, other than losing the passport and wallet, probably one of the most funniest things. It wasn't funny to me at the time, but uh, we had a, we were known for a lot of shenanigans. I had started a uh, heavy weightlifting program. I was eating six times a day and uh, started a supplement program that my friend made me believe I was literally gaining weight by the day because we, he had convinced me to step on the scale to monitor my progress. What I didn't notice was that he was putting his foot on the scale, increasing the weight. And he had told everyone in my section to comment on how big I looked. (laughs) And I felt great for the first week and a half until I realized I looked back at his foot and saw him just laughing. And then then it looked around and everyone, I'm like, has everyone been in on this the whole week and a half? And then I looked at my weight and it was actually only like a few pounds up after like working out for two weeks. And I was so, I don't know, it was just this floored that I was able, they were able to get away with it for that long. It was pretty hilarious. That is and that good. They had the whole camp involved in it by the end of it. So everybody had just commented how big it was and it made me feel awesome for the first two weeks until that happened, but pretty hilarious in hindsight. Nice. Is
0: Ottawa your hometown?
1: So Ottawa, Limoges Castleman is my hometown. Oh my
0: gosh, really? Yeah,
1: I grew up right outside the uh, little water park on a place called Baker Road. There's actually two parts of that road. The first part is Baker, the other part is Fauche. Turns into uh, another road past the train tracks, but that's where I grew up. I grew up basically in the forest. There was a neighbor to the left and the right, but you had to go through the forest to get to them. So real country. Castleman was the closest town which is a half hour bike ride. And uh, Ottawa to me was the biggest city I've ever seen in my life. And then I moved to Toronto. So you can imagine the anxiety of the 401 and then the relief to move back to this small country lifestyle.
0: Yeah. So at the risk of um, upsetting some of your followers, Ottawa or Toronto, which is your favorite?
1: Man, I, uh, I love Toronto, the people, the food, I fucking hate the traffic. I am so <laughs> happy to be back in Ottawa. But, okay. Uh, you'll never have like such a better and more diverse offering of food and just things going on and excitement. I think everybody needs to experience living in Toronto for a portion of their life. Okay. Even better if you can live downtown, but there is everything for everyone in Toronto.
0: All right. Now, upcoming initiatives with Mad Hatter
1: Industries. We are pushing through about $30,000 of new product. We're going into full production. We're doing a huge push for VA, and uh, we're trying to get that before the Christmas rush. I don't think we're going to have water bottles ready, but stay tuned for that. But we have hats, hoodies, t-shirts. We're also working on some new designs, and we have some companies that are in the works that are coming on board. So I'll keep that secret until we release it in the new year. But stay tuned for some announcements at the Motorcycle Super Show in January 6th to 8th. And then we have two shows we're doing in February, the Toronto Motorcycle Show, the Montreal Motorcycle Show. We might actually be out in Daytona this year. So stay tuned for that.
0: Okay, nice. For the friends and platoon members that you've lost... Would you like to say their names?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, directly, Mo Sneddon was uh, one of those gentle giants slash biggest nerd. And uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll always think of that, his uh, excitement in the most weirdest things, like the 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 nicest headset you could get, to me, was just a general headset. And then the Stormy mannerisms, for those that know Albert Stormy, the things that he would say when you're just talking to him just a soldier's soldier, a man that could be relied upon to do the heavy lifting and put a rucksack on him and he'd just go, and the most comfortable just living out in the back of a lav. And uh, Matt and Randy, I didn't have the pay, I didn't have the opportunity to to get to meet them, but listening to Matt on the other line of the phone we were hanging out as we were waiting for a workup and the effects that they left through the... Military police community, not just CP community, is a uh, it's a lasting legacy that will continue to be something that they'll be proud of, looking up above wherever they are, that uh, they've continued to leave behind a legacy that continues to grow. And ultimately, it's a family. And uh, for those others that passed away, and be it through suicide or whatever the reason, we'll never forget.
0: Absolutely, that's beautiful. Question number ten. Your glass is empty. I know you're an IPA all the way, guy. I've got two more. Do you want to shut this down and have Hell a Oh, yeah.
1: All right I'll definitely have one or two more.
0: <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough coming this way to my house. Um, this has been more than a pleasure. Thanks for putting up with my dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I look forward to uh, our pals meeting uh, again and again as we're nearby each other.
1: It was my honor and uh, privilege to be on here. So thanks for having me and accommodating me so nicely with the uh, hospitality. Goff had said you were a great host and wasn't expecting uh, to exceed those expectations. Oh, see, Andrew didn't
0: get beer and food, and I know (laughs) I'm going to get shit over this. (laughs) You'll have to come back. Absolutely. Okay, We'll leave it there.
1: Perfect.